We are in Doctrine and Covenants, section 121, and this is Joseph Smith from the Liberty Jail. And the thing that has always struck me in this, in verse 2, is he says, How long shall thy hand be stayed? And thine eye, yea, thy pure eye, behold from the eternal heavens the wrongs of thy people. And what I have written there is it is not his own suffering that he is concerned about. It is the suffering of the extermination order and his family and the members of the church. And that has always so touched me as he is in the depths of depravity and just really struggling so much himself with these other five men. And they will for a long time. I think it's just under six months. But the fact that his heart is so poured out because of others' afflictions is so touching to me and um, truly the mark of an incredible person. And it reminds me of Jesus Christ when after John the Baptist is um, beheaded and he is so disheartened and he goes off to be by himself and the little children come and his disciples are trying to keep them away so that he can have some time knowing how sad he is, how heavy hearted he is. And he says, suffer the little children to come to me. And of course, he thinks of who he can serve in this time of sorrow. And so it's just amazing. It's a very Christ-like attribute. Okay, verse 3. Yea, O Lord, how long shall they suffer thy wrongs and these wrongs and unlawful oppressions before thy heart be softened toward them and thy bowels moved with compassion? And I think the very hardest thing that we go through um, in life is knowing that God could stop something. He could intervene and wondering why he doesn't. And it reminded me of the conference talk, No Balm in Gilead by Brent H. Nielsen from this very last conference. And if you recall, he talks about his dad is diagnosed with cancer and um, they fast that he will be healed and he knows that they have the faith sufficient for him to be healed and they go in to do the surgery and they're fully expecting this surgery to help with the issue, the cancer, and the surgeons come out and tell them it has spread so far. There's nothing they can do. And he talks about um, praying for healing then praying that the pain will be lessened, and then finally praying that he will pass quickly. And it reminds me of Amulek, who turns to Alma as he watches his wife and the people that they, and his children, and the people they have converted, and Ammonihah, and says, are we seriously going to sit here and do nothing? We have the power of God. We have the priesthood. We could stop this. And Alma the prophet says, the Lord constraineth me not. And I cannot imagine a more gut-wrenching, horrific thing for the prophet Alma and Amulek. And yet, they obey God's will. And it's so that God can bring the justice and seal these people's testimony with their very lives and bring them up to him. And I also think of Nephi on the ship when his brothers tie him. And he has um, prayed and had his bands burst when they were in the wilderness and so that he wouldn't be eaten by wild beasts. And yet on this ship, when things are so bad, so horrific, it has to get to a point that Laman and Lemuel think they're going to die. His bands are not burst. And it says that he did glorify the Lord all day long.
And it just is so touching to me. And I think all of us will have to get to a point where we really question and wonder where God is. And I know in my own life I have, and I know several of my siblings have. And it is an amazing thing. And there was a conference talk by Elder Cleveland got years ago where he said, we need to get to the point where we realize it's not God's punishment. It isn't that we've done something wrong. Sometimes it is. But he said, we need to look at it and say, I know what this is. It is a chance to become better. We came to earth to be refined. And most often that comes through trials and adversities. Um, It says in the handbook, and I think, I wish I would have circled who this was by, but it said the prophet progressed, Brigham Young said, the prophet progressed toward perfection more in 38 years because of severe tribulation through which he successfully passed than he would have been able to do in a thousand years without it. I feel like Paul to glory in tribulation, DNC 127.2. And I just love that it says in the handbook that Jesus Christ and Joseph Smith are the great examples. And at the time when I went through our trial in Seattle, where I had my nervous breakdown and just really wondered what I was doing wrong and what the Lord was disappointed in, The Spirit said to me, are you greater than Joseph Smith? And I love that he used Joseph Smith as the example. Um, It's interesting in here that he uses Job to Joseph Smith. And the reason I find that interesting is not many of us use Job over Joseph Smith. So it's interesting he uses Job to Joseph Smith because we all say that there is Joseph Smith was second only to Christ in all that he suffered. And um, so it's interesting, he uses Job to Joseph Smith. And as he goes through and talks about your friends have not turned against you, you have to remember his friends have. He has several who have been with him from the very beginning, who have now questioned if he's a fallen prophet. People who helped, Oliver Cowdery, who helped Um, transcribe the Book of Mormon. And I cannot imagine a more Judas-like experience to feel like he had been so betrayed by his closest friends and how difficult. And so as you read this, it's gut-wrenching to think, really? He's not as Job? Because (laughs) it sure feels like he's beyond Job and there's more to come. Um, verse 13, it says, and because their hearts are corrupted, the things which they are willing to bring upon others and love to have others suffer may come upon themselves to the uttermost. And I think of, um, wicked King Noah and his priests. And do you remember when Abinadi comes and he says to them, you know, what you do to me will be done to you. And every word is fulfilled in exactness. They are brought into bondage and they are terminated by fire. Noah is, just as he does Abinadi. And so here he's saying, this is again, another opportunity to seal their testimony, these saints, um, not necessarily with their lives, but with all, some with their lives, but a lot with persecution and trial but that it is bringing on these people who turn against them and and literally fight against God. It's bringing on them the justification of condemnation. And then it says in verse 16, Cursed are all those that shall lift up the heel against mine anointed, saith the Lord, and cry they have sinned when they have not sinned before me, saith the Lord, but have done that which was meet in mine eyes, which I commanded them. And the thing that I love here is I remember once upon a time in a temple wedding, and I've said this before, um, 
they talked about that we would never speak guile against the Lord's anointed. And they said, who is the Lord's anointed? We are all members of the church and all who follow God are God's anointed. And so anyone who fights against those who are fighting for God, it is a war or two sides. So if you're fighting against God, there's only one other choice. And it is, they have sinned against God. And then if you go down, it says, and those who swear falsely against my servants, that they might bring them into bondage and death. And he has had that. There have been those who have strayed and sworn out false statements and that's what brings the extermination order and we talked about one of those who came back 20 years later and said i have found that god could do very well without me but i could not do without god and how humble that was for him to come but even more humble was that the church forgave him and so many people suffered and died because of that extermination order and yet they forgave and um, I just think it goes back to the temple blessing that Joseph Smith um, writes. And again, and he again, he asks that their enemies' hearts will be softened, that they will hear the truth of the message and that God will be patient and wait for them to repent. And so it isn't that this brings comfort in the life of those who fight against them. It brings comfort that God is aware and there is um, there is order to this. There is a plan to this. And it is all trusting that God has a plan that is greater than ours. And that if we turn our life to him, he will reveal and make of us so much more than we ever would ourselves. Heber J. Grant said, Our enemies have never done anything that has injured this work of God, and they never will. Where are the men of influence, power, and prestige who have worked against the Latter-day Saints? They cannot be found. Where are the men that have assailed this work? Where is their influence? They have faded away like dew before the sun. We have no fears, we Latter-day Saints. God will continue to sustain this work. Inasmuch as men will not hearken to the Lord, but will become a law unto themselves and will commit sin, they will justly reap the consequences of their iniquity. And it goes on to say um, in 21 that they will not have the right to the priesthood from generation to generation. And I kind of question that. Um, it reminds me of the Jews who have suffered so much their posterity for choices. And that's such a hard thing for me. And I love this, that it says this by Joseph F. Smith, the infidel will import, impart infidelity to his children. And you see that they teach an everlasting hatred like the Lamanites did to their kids. If he can, the whoremonger will not raise a pure and righteous posterity. He will impart the seeds of disease and misery, if not of death and destruction upon his offspring, which will continue upon his children to the third and fourth generation, not in accordance with God's wishes, for his wish is that all men will not sin and therefore not transmit the consequences of their sin to their children, but that they will be that they will keep the commandments and be free from sin. And so I love that it is the difference, and I've talked about this before, in consequences and punishment. And God is not a God of punishment. He is a God of justice and truth and consequences. And we bring consequences on ourselves. And yes, you can have a limb high from a zenith, and or a limb high from a wicked King Noah, wicked King Noah from Zenith. And so you can have a righteous 
parent and get someone who strays and you can have incredible, um, incredible wickedness and end up with a Limhi who knows his dad was wrong. But most often those consequences, what we teach as parents tend to perpetuate and be brought out in our posterity. And that's what it's talking about. And I really believe there is repentance in this. I really believe after we are dead and we see how our posterity suffers for the consequences or others suffer for the consequences of our choices, that is part of our repentance and part of our sorrow and turning to the Lord and begging for his forgiveness and and hoping that our posterity will come around to truth and acknowledging what we did wrong. Um, I love these verses. We're going to stop here and we'll go on tomorrow. But I just love this lament of Joseph Smith and the Lord answering back. And it's just such a beautiful thing um, to look in our own lives and think of trials that we have suffered and what the Lord could possibly be teaching us. And the question is, am I progressing? Am I better today than I was yesterday? Would the Lord be pleased with me if, if I met him today? And I love those questions. I hope you know the church is true. And more than that, I hope you know how much our Savior loves you.